Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan from Startups.com, joined as always by my friend, the founder and CEO of Startups.com, Will Schroeder. Will, I get asked a question a lot, and I'm curious to see, I would imagine you do too, but uh, I get asked about how do we find advisors? Do we need advisors? Where do we find them? Are they worth it? Does this come up in your, your world as well as mine? Nonstop, with good reason, right? Like no one knows what they're doing, and everybody needs to be more connected. So finding an advisor makes a ton of sense. Here's what's funny though. Most people, when they think about getting advisors, they actually either one, don't understand what advisors actually do, which I probably talk about that as a prelude, but they also don't understand actually how easy it is to recruit really good advisors. When I say easy, I don't mean there's zero work. I mean, the people that you'd probably want that you think would be a tough get, short if you're trying to like recruit like Elon or Bezos or something like that, aren't that hard to get, right? You can go pretty far up the chain. There was a, a phrase when I was in high school that the pretty girl never gets asked to the prom. The thinking behind that phrase was that every person thinks that they're, you know, not worthy of asking her to go to the prom. So no one asks her. So essentially nothing happens. Oddly, that actually happens with a lot of advisors as well, right? Where no one asks them because everybody thinks that they're so in demand. Also, I never got asked to prom, but I think it's because I'm so pretty that, you know, <laughs> clearly willing to ask me clearly. only explanation. There is no other plausible explanation. I'm going to ask our buddy Craig about that. He probably remembers. <laughs> That's true. I forgot. One of the other founder group members, we found out that we both lived in Connecticut at the same time and that we checked middle school yearbooks and we were in the same middle school at the same time, which was crazy to think. Uh, he's out in, in San Diego now, if I recall. Anyway, so I think what we need to first talk about is what's the role of an advisor? Like, what are we trying to get done with this person? Also, what is it not? What? Yeah, I think that's super important. Super important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you kick us off with what it's not? It's not a co-founder. It's not a W-2 employee. It's not somebody who's going to uh, to introduce you to everyone they know. You know, it's not unfettered access to their Rolodex. It's not someone who understands your business better than you do. They might understand certain aspects of it better. They have their own experiences. But I, dude, the list of what it's not is way longer than the list of what it is. So I think the important thing to remember there is that they are there's somebody who's going to pop in and pop out of the business with some frequency, right? But they're going to be popped out far more than they're popped in. And so you have to temper the expectations and be really clear about the, the asks and so forth. But we'll get into that when we start talking about what they are. For me, again, the list is so long. I don't want to go through it comprehensively, but they are not somebody who's going to be at beck and call. They are not somebody who's going to be paying attention to every detail. It's your job to crystallize the really important stuff and get it to them for specific feedback. And that's what they are. You bet. A lot of people confuse the term advisor with director, like a board of directors. When I say you should have a board of advisors, they think of something very formal and they think of, oh, these are people that are going to boss me around and tell me what to do. Absolutely not. Right. Their job is to help you, not to, to direct you, so to speak. That's a totally different structure. If you have a board of directors and you have other investors and stakeholders, this is a totally different discussion. Even then you want to pick the right people, but they usually come with who, who's ever writing a check. So it works a little bit differently. Within advisors, which we kind of all need, I think the concept looks something like this. For people doing it for the first time, I think the concept looks something like, I'm going to find this Yoda-like person, and they're going to have all this incredible knowledge, and they're just going to sit back and tent their fingers and tell me you know, the ways of the world. And that is actually about 4% true. <laughs> it's the other 96%, not so much. Like Just at a high level, here's a couple of places where that myth just kind of falls apart. 
Number one, we assume that they actually want to spend a lot of time with us. They generally don't. They've got other stuff to do, right? They don't have time to be sitting around thinking about our business. We are a moment in time at best, at best. Well, just think about it mathematically for a second. Well, think about it mathematically for a second. We'll get into compensation later. So I don't, I don't want to steal the thunder from that part of the discussion. But let's assume that there's somewhere between a quarter point and one point of, of equity and compensation. Just rough averages this is where we end up. They're a quarter point, okay? Meaning that at best, they should be spending 0.25% as much time as you on your business. Except remember, <laughs> the reason right. you brought them in is that they have more knowledge than you. They understand things better than you do, which means that their market rate is probably higher than yours, which means that that compensation would require even less of their time. So just mathematically, let's keep in mind how much time they really want to spend with us and how much time they can afford to spend with us. Absolutely. I think one of the most common uh, issues that people get into when they're recruiting advisors, they recruit for what they need right this minute. Classic example is recruiting an attorney. Right. I need a screwdriver. I hired a carpenter. I married yeah. a carpenter. Right. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, it, and, and everyone says the same thing like, oh, yeah, well, oh, I got a, an attorney as an advisor because I have questions about intellectual property and we have to do formation. We have to create our initial contracts. I was like, and then <laughs> why are they still on your, your board of advisors? There are people that you have specific questions for. A great example is a subject matter expert, right? You find somebody that's a subject matter expert in your industry and you immediately think to yourself, I need to lock that person in as advisor because they can tell me all kinds of stuff. Here's what's actually going to happen. You're going to go to them. And at first, everything they say is magical because it's all stuff you don't know, right? But after like the first, second, and third rabbit they pull out of their hat, there's never a fourth rabbit, right? Or rarely. And you realize that you just gave a person like a, a permanent spot in the company for a moment of knowledge. A moment of knowledge. It's like buying an album and then playing it and expecting it to somehow have different songs later. It never will. It's going to have the same songs, right? Get a subject matter expert. That's what they're good at, right? And if you like listening to that song over and over again, cool. If not, you probably didn't need an advisor. Let me make a subtle distinction here too. And this is something that I actually, you know, I'm, I'm sure the same for you. We get asked to be advisors all the time. My typical response is, how about I just be a helpful friend instead? And when you have questions that align with my expertise, ask me. And they're always like, I can do that. Like, that's sort of how it works, right? Don't you have other friends who sometimes you ask them things like, yeah, why don't we just have that relationship for now? If it turns out that it needs to be something more formalized, then we can do that. But in most cases, because I'm a subject matter expert, they need answers to some questions sometimes. They don't need me to hang out with them all the time on intervals. It's just not necessary. That's, that's truly the case. And I tell people the same thing. I was like, I have a couple of things, a couple of places that I can help you and I'll just help you. By the way, you can ask people for favors, right? Like you can we'll just do that. We don't necessarily need to go full guns and lock them in. Now, one of the reasons that people like to do this, and this is why it comes up a lot for me because I um, review pitch decks at startups.com is because people want to fill out their team slide. Yep. They want that credibility boost. Yeah, yeah. They want a couple of logos or names that that show that, that people bought it. And by the way, it's a great strategy, which is also why we're doing this episode about recruiting these rock stars so you can understand how to get them. But just keep in mind that too is a moment in time, right? So while we're saying, hey, here's we're going to show you some great ways to get kick-ass advisors, we're also going to caution you, as we always do, because we're always here about like just taking the pixie dust off everything. We're also going to caution you to say, don't sell your soul for a moment in time right? Yes, you need to raise money. Yes, it's super important. But once you're done, you don't need to raise money with that person at that time to kind of yeah. have any value anymore. It's like paying an employee that only works for one week 
and then keep them paying them forever because you might need them again someday, right? Mm. <laughs> it's not a great idea. Not a great strategy. Okay, so so with all that said, everyone wants to know, how do I get a rock star advisor? And, 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 meaning someone that you actually don't think you could get. And here's the funny thing, I'll, I'll give you a little story. One of the things that's always been kind of like my trademark is doing stuff I'm not supposed to do. Right? Just like generally like, like, like punching outside my weight class, right? Yep. One of the things that really helped me early on in my career, like when I was 19 starting an interactive agency, was I would call on major CEOs of like Fortune 500 companies. I'd call them directly. Like I'd, I'd call them after five o'clock on a Friday and I'd try to bypass their secretaries and call them. And a lot of people would be like, man, that's ballsy. Guess what? I actually yeah, didn't know any works. better. I didn't understand what a Fortune 500 CEO was. So I didn't know I was calling a Fortune 500 CEO, right? I just, I, I saw his or her name on some list or, or Fortune magazine or something. And I just called, I literally didn't know who they were, right? But because of that, I landed some of the first web business at places like IBM and Intel and MasterCard and in and, and all these places that I had no business being in. What I would learn afterward is that the trick to all of this is just being willing to ask. Yeah. The worst you hear is no, right? Exactly. Exactly. In some cases I heard yes. In other cases, actually, one of the best advisors I ever got came from a no from one advisor whose answer, her answer was no, but here's someone I think would be perfect for this. And, and she had reasons why she said no. She was like, no, because of this, this, and this. And actually, I think this person would be better for you. At first, I thought it was a bit of a blow off. Turned out to be absolutely the right answer at the time and worked out wonderfully for me. So again, that never would have happened if I hadn't asked. It was like circa like 1997. This is just, you know, early days, maybe 98. I called a guy named Brian Markinson, who was the president of Bristol Myers Squibb, the pharmaceutical company. And I called him again, I think on a Friday, his secretary is gone. He ends up picking up the phone. I talked to him directly, convinced him that I need to be out there next week in his office, right? There's no reason in a million years that guy would have ever spoken to me, right? Particularly if he'd been given a warning. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Had anyone else answered the phone, that would have never happened. But because I was willing to do it, right? And, and we ended up landing a huge contract with them, right? It ended up being a really big deal. Now that said, I started to learn kind of how few people were willing to make that call. And I started to think it was really interesting. Years later, when we were starting Afford It and we were raising money, I'd moved to Los Angeles. I didn't know anybody, right? And so instead of just sitting around hoping I would meet somebody at a networking event, I just went down the list of all the people that were CEOs of, of, and founders of startup companies or investors, et cetera. And I did a super weird thing. I called all called of them. them. <laughs> called yeah. them with a phone, right? A phone and, machine, and yeah. For, for those of you who don't know, that thing in your pocket, that little computer you carry around, it can be used to dial someone directly. Uh, we can explain what dialing is in another episode. Yeah, they're fun. So we ended up getting all kinds of, you know, fantastic, like tier one investors and, and advisors, et cetera. Not because nobody had any idea who we were. I just want to be clear, right? You know, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, but you knew a lot of people and you know, I was some rube from Ohio. Nobody had any idea who I was, right? But they were like, yeah, it's pretty cool that you called. I see that now. When people like seek me out, I always respect the person that's willing to kind of go that extra mile and seek me out and, you know, try to get an audience, et cetera. I also have been on the other side of it. I can kind of tell when I'm being baited, right? But I always respect the, the game on their side, right? On this side, uh, when we're recruiting advisors, I think what we lose sight of is that the bigger the name, the fewer the people that can get to them. 
the fewer people that even try to your point there's more people want to but less people even make the attempt back to the pretty girl at the prom analogy this is where that starts to happen right the more important they become the more visible they become the less likely people are people believe that they'll be able to engage with them it's just actually not true they haven't changed as much as you think Right. Agreed. Agreed. And a big part of it, too, is what we might think are superstars, like, you know, rock stars, like these kind of celebrities, if you will, kind of aren't <laughs> like they're only like big time rock stars to us. In other words, if you're going after Elon or Jeff Bezos, yes. Right. Like you're not going to get them. Right. Yeah, pretty much. If they have a security detail, they might be out of your reach. OK, <laughs> if they don't probably probably worth calling. And even then it wouldn't prevent me from trying. That said, that said, right? Uh, not security detail, but <laughs> I was going to say the 6'4", 280 pound guy. Yeah, yeah, might, that, might that would absolutely you. prevent me. A lot of times the rock star in your industry is like a senior VP at, at some company or they are uh, somebody that's got, you know, a million followers on TikTok or something like that. So again, they're only a rock star to you. And as soon as you go outside of that bubble, like they're nobody to anyone else, yeah. right? Yeah. Ask some of your friends who aren't in your space what they know about them, the answer is probably who? Right. Like in our space, a good example is Tim Ferriss, right? Tim Fer Ferriss is awesome, right? And he's fairly well-known, but my wife, who's super smart and, and connected, has no idea who he is. No idea who right? he is. Yeah. Like, and, and again, and, and she's a hop, skip, and a jump from that world, right? As you go up the chain, as you get to essentially more and more influential people, you've got kind of two camps here. You've got a camp of people that are also highly visible. Tim Ferriss would be a great example of that, right? So Tim Ferriss get hit up by everybody for everything, most likely, because he's so visible. You have another camp of people who aren't as visible because Tim Ferriss is all over social media and everything else, right? But you have another camp of people who just don't have that kind of visibility. The senior VPs of whatever company, right? They don't have a million followers. They're just some person in a room somewhere that, that's working at some major company, right? Way easier to get. Why are they way easier to get? Not just them, but just in general, the, these rock stars. One, because no one asks. Generally yeah. speaking, you'd be shocked how few people ask. And two, because it's cool to get asked. It is. It's very flattering. I'm happy every time it happens. Well, you and I and, and the rest of the team here generally, you know, have to turn people away. Like I, I, I'm an advisor in zero companies only because I don't think it's fair. Otherwise, I'm getting the, the thing of trying to explain to people why I picked this company versus that company. Not interested. Regardless, regardless, I think for a lot of people, again, the, the rock star advisor that you're thinking about, they're probably not getting asked a lot. And when they do, if you ask somebody like, hey, I want you to become my advisor and we'll talk about how to ask in a second. That's a cool thing to ask. It's complimentary as hell. It is. Right? It is. So why do I say yes? Here's why I say yes. A lot of people don't understand this. It's an ego thing. Yeah. Right? 100%. Nine times out of 10, when, when advisors, people who are advisors to companies are talking about their startups, things they're advising, they're doing it with pride. They're doing it with yeah. pride because they like to brag, if you will, right? Whether they say it or not, regardless of their humility, they like to brag about who they're advising, right? Especially if that company is doing well. Feels good. Absolutely. Right. It's, it's their Lamborghini or Birkin bag, right? It's that yep. thing, you know, that they can kind of brag about or show off. Right. So when you get asked that by interesting companies, it checks a few boxes as an advisor. One, it's something new and novel, which we all yep. love. Yep. Right. <laughs> Especially in our space. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so I might be senior VP at Google in whatever I'm doing in a certain space that would make me a rock star advisor, but maybe I'm bored right? Like I'm looking for something interesting, something new. Someone comes at me with a fashion line, which seems way outside of the range of what I would do. I might look at that and go, damn, that sounds fantastic, right? Like that's actually a great departure from what I'm doing. Fun. Interesting. I'm curious, right? Peaks curiosity. It taps me on the ego, right? All of it feels good. 
So one of the buttons around curiosity is novelty. The opportunity to do something new, right? Which we all engage in every single day when we watch a TV show, when we engage at a dinner, whatever. The opportunity for something new, right? That's very real and it's very attractive. The second thing is to be called on for something that you care about and be able to talk shop on something that you know you're an expert on. You and I get to do it all day long and it never gets old, right? I've got 11 calls today with founders, back to back to back, right? And it's awesome because on every one of those calls, I get to help somebody in some meaningful way. In things that we actually care about. Yeah. It feels good, right? It feels good, right? And it makes me feel good about what I've learned and what I can teach. So I think when we're asking why they're saying yes, that's a hot button. The third one, the, the third box it checks that I wouldn't say is the primary motivator, even though everybody thinks it is, it's upside, right? I might get involved in this and it might become the next Uber. Probably not, right? Yeah, but maybe. probably not. Odds are no, but that's why we play odds. You bet. But I think a lot of people think, well, I can't talk to that person because my company's not far enough along and they won't think they'll be able to get the ROI. And the reason I'm bringing that up last is because I don't think you understand they're typically saying yes for the first couple around novelty or around opportunity, et cetera. It's like if it pays something, even better. Right. It's icing on the cake at that point. Right, right, right. You know, something that's really funny about everything we talk about here is that none of it is new. Everything you're dealing with right now has been done a thousand times before you, which means the answer already exists. You may just not know it, but that's okay. That's kind of what we're here to do. We talk about this stuff on the show, but we actually solve these problems all day long at groups.startups.com. So if any of this sounds familiar, stop guessing about what to do. Let us just give you the answers to the test and be done with it. Yeah, it, it goes back to like, what are the reasons they would say no, right? Because if we flip yeah. that around and we start to look at <laughs> right. that from that side, like, okay, you clearly respect my, my authority in the space. Do you think I have something to offer? What you're doing is interesting and cool. No, I, I'm out. And you want to maybe <laughs> offer me some, some compensation that probably won't happen, but might in return for a, a little bit of my time that will probably be enjoyable to spend. Because that's the other thing. I, I think this doesn't get talked about enough either. When you think about it, you and I, we do this professionally. Like we do this all the time. We're constantly advising founders. We may not be advisors formally on the board, but we're advising founders pretty much constantly. We're doing it right now as we speak through a podcast. It's fun. We enjoy it, right? Like that interaction, like not just the, the ego hit, not just the curiosity, like we get to flex a muscle. It's like, you know, ask Michael Jordan to go play some basketball, right? He likes right. to play the game, right? Like <laughs> exactly. a little bit different scale, but he likes to play the game. We like to play this game. We like to exercise the things that we know how to do and flex the muscles that we have. This is an opportunity to do that. And it feels fantastic. I agree. So, so let me build on that. A lot of people say, well, how do I make that ask? Like, you know, because here's how we picture it. We picture going after our rockstar advisor in the form of a proposal. Like we're, like we're literally proposing marriage, right? Will you please be my advisor forever? That is not the way to go about it. In the absolute perfect analogy here is if you were to say, I want to find my life partner. And so I'm just going to email people and ask them if, they, if they'll marry me and see how it works out, right? It's not the way this goes. Will you customize the proposals at all, Will, or is it going to be just sort of a... No, a, a no. Dear first name. What if more than one person says yes? What's the filtration process look like? I'm very curious about this now. Uh, then we got to move to another state that allows for that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but here's the thing. We often think that this is like this full-on pitch for a proposal. That's not the way to ask. The way to ask 
is ask a question. Think about dating, right? For a whole bunch of reasons, and we're about to to dig dig deep on this, but like there's a whole bunch of reasons that you want to start with just asking questions, essentially asking for advice. It's so funny to me that people don't start with that because what is the purpose of this person in the long term? Right. To answer questions and give advice. Don't you think maybe you'd want to start with some kind of a lightweight test to see whether the questions are answered and whether the advice is good? Just maybe. We're going to go through a bunch of reasons of why we have to do this no matter what. I'll start with the first one. If we just go guns blazing with, you don't know me from Adam, will you join my board? It's just never going to happen. (laughs) You've clearly not put any thought into this. You didn't tap my ego. You didn't do any of those fun things that make me want to say yes. So I'm going to say no. Correct. Or I'm just going to ignore you. So the good news is you don't have to do that. I think that's at some level how people tend to kind of consider it. Should be a relief. Yeah. Yeah. Again, the good news is this is not the way it goes. Here's how we do it. We always start super simple. I have a question we'd love to ask you. Can we talk about it? Now, think about that for a second. If I'm not willing to answer a question, do you honestly think I'm going to be your advisor, right? Second, more often than not, and and we kind of touched on this a moment ago, what you think they know, they don't really know. What you think, like this body of knowledge, this perspective, this connectivity, whatever you think it is, there's like a 90% chance it's not what you think it is. Not what you think. Right? may still be useful, but maybe not in the ways that you think, or maybe not as much as you think, which might influence the decision, right? Let me provide some examples, right? I go to the CTO of some red hot company that I think is awesome. I'm going to get her advice on how am I going to, to um, build the infrastructure for my product, right? I finally get her on the phone and, and I, I start asking these questions and she looks at me like I have two heads. I'm like, what? She's like, I haven't written code in 20 years. Right. I'm a manager. I sit in meetings all day talking about like strategic decisions. I talk to the bosses of the bosses of the bosses, of the people you yeah, actually like, be talking like, to. And I was like, wait, but you're the CTO. They're like, yeah, you don't really know what my job is though, do you? Yeah. And I'm using that as a simple example that happens all the time. I'll give you another example. You go to a founder and they were the founder of an exact business in your exact industry. And you think they're going to be again, this, this Yoda like, you know, Buddha knowledge of whatever your industry is. And they're like, yeah, we did it this way, but you do it that way. And it's just not the same, right? Years ago, I was at an event with Jim Grody, who's the founder of Donato's Pizza. And I was sitting next to Jim and I had like a million questions for him because it's just a, such a you know dynamic, fantastic business. And finally he stops me. He's like, dude, I haven't run this business in like 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> right. I have no idea. I show up this twice stuff. a year for commercials. Yeah, exactly. It, and, and he's such a nice guy. But like, it's funny because in your mind, like if I wanted to start fast food chain or if I wanted to start a pizza place or anything, like this is the guy. You have to give yourself an opportunity to find out. <laughs> to find out exactly who this is. You got to date people, right? And they more importantly have to date you. The way that starts is just with questions. Okay. So the first thing the questions do is they find out whether you're going to have a conversation at all. Yeah. yeah. If I'm reaching out to you and you're my rock star, Ryan, you are my rock star, Ryan. I know. (laughs) I'm going to ask you a single question. I DM you on Twitter. Hey, uh, I really need help with this. You know, could you give me some advice? If you never respond, that tells you something as well. Just because people have the potential to be advisor doesn't mean they intend to be. Right. This is why asking that question is great, right? Because again, it's it's a light way to ask. If they're not going to answer that, to your point, if they're not going to answer that, then how do you think it would have gone over if you just sent the formal, uh, here's some documents I'd like you to sign to uh, take a quarter point in my company. Would that be okay? Probably not. Exactly. The second part is the reason people become your advisor is because they like you. Exactly. If they haven't had a chance to talk to you, everybody thinks it's just the value of my idea, 
It is not. In fact, investment's the same way. Investors will tell you that. Yes, we evaluate the idea, but we're really betting on the person, the team. And so if the team comes across like a bunch of jerks, right? We just don't want to be in business with them, right? We're investors. That's our job. But it was such a great opportunity. <laughs> don't care, right? At some point, you just realize you don't care. It's such long odds anyways. You yeah. don't want to take long odds on jerks. There's no reason to do it. 100%. And so the other side of it is, you know, when we're having these conversations, et cetera, we finally get a feel for who this person actually is. Often these are people that we've never really interacted with on a, a, a long-term basis. Wait, Will, the Twitter or Instagram version of people isn't always exactly who and how they are? Is that what you're saying? Oh, it's 100% true. It is truth personified. Yes. <laughs> Don't ask these silly that questions. That was a right? paradigm shift I wasn't ready for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone's always happy all the time. And they all love their spouses. So, <laughs> so I genuinely think that for most people, getting those early reps with someone will quickly tell you whether they're that, that cool. Here's what I tend to find. There are a handful of advisors that are just kind people and they're willing to do you a solid by answering some questions, but that is, that's as much as they're willing to do. It almost runs parallel to what you said when you said people ask you to be an advisor, where you're like, dude, I can help you, but I'm not looking for another job. Just being kind. Yep. I want to help. I do want to help. But there's some limitations on that. And the limitations aren't just in terms of the amount of time I'm willing to give. I, as the person they're asking for help, have the best understanding of how much help I can provide. Right. And so you telling me you want to hang out together forever and me going, you're not going to like me after the third party just because I run out of tricks. Right. Like you've seen all my tricks now. I'm going to help you not make a bad decision. Right. That, that's another you way bet. of being kind as an advisor. Agreed. We also give advisors way too much credit as to what we think that they're going to do or what they actually know. Right. So we do a lot of things. It goes back to my Jim Grody from Donato's thing. I could build a vision in my head that Jim is just constantly innovating in that industry or Jim is constantly like, you know, connected at the highest levels. And you come to find out like Jim's been golfing for 20 years. He doesn't talk to anybody in that industry, right? Whatever. I'm not saying I'm making that up, but like, it's important for us to, by way of this, do some diligence. There's a very high likelihood that when we go into these conversations, the answers we're going to get back are not that good. Okay. That's the first thing. The second thing is once you get past your first battery of questions, and here's a cool way for folks that are listening to prepare for this, come up with five things that only they could answer, right? That are unique to them, that their perspective or, or their answer would be particularly useful, okay? Start with one, try to go into a few more. If by the time you get to the fifth one, they still haven't given you much of an answer or anything useful, do you see what, what you, you'd have just lost by giving them a stake in your company or anything else like that. Most advisors, by the way, can't answer more than five questions. Why? Because it's very rare that what we need to know goes beyond those five questions. The attorney is a great example. I go to the attorney and I need to learn about intellectual property, you know, and licensing and stuff like that. First question I ask them, I've got this idea. Could I patent it? Absolutely. How long would it take? Patent process is probably going to run you for this about nine to 12 months. How much would it cost? Cost you $30,000. Okay. What do I do from here? Well, we started an engagement letter and we charge you a bunch of money, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, well, I know how long it's going to take. I know it's going to cost. That's probably not valuable to me. So all the other knowledge this person has on a patent that I'm probably not going to file doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's also just, you're also just going to pay them for that at that point, right? That's knowledge exactly. you're just going to pay for. It's not an advisor level thing. You don't pick up an attorney advisor to write your, and, and file patents for you, right? That's not going back to what they don't do. Great example. They're not going to do that as an advisor right? They'll do that as your attorney, which you pay them for by the hour. Yes. 
Getting advice doesn't necessarily require somebody to be your advisor. You can just ask for advice. Right? And frankly, that's that's what you want to do anyway. So when, when we zoom out a little bit and we say, how do I ask? You start by asking for advice. You start by having a conversation. You start by showing that you ask good questions. More importantly, you listen. Because what everybody wants out of somebody that they're going to advise is to know that they're being heard. What they don't want is a know-it-all right? They don't want somebody that's like, oh yeah, of course I knew that, right? Blah, blah, blah. Even if you do know that, shut up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, what is the value talk? in that response, right? I don't need to know that you knew things that I told you. If you knew the answer to that, why did you ask me that question? Yeah, you called me, man. <laughs> you're, yeah, you called me. You're driving this train. I mean, if you already knew how to get where it's going, then why the hell am I here? Yeah, it is a super just, it is super frustrating when one, you get asked questions, you give answers, and then people seem to have already known the answer. Cool. Great that you came to me for confirmation. Google's also great for that. Two, when you do put time and effort into, and then you see people without any feedback or reasoning or, or justification, they don't seem to heed the advice, right? And that can be super frustrating as well. But I, let me circle back on something just like when you're asking these questions, like what always gets me is when I find the questions interesting, right? Give me a puzzle I want to solve, right? If you want to pull me into this thing, give me a riddle that I can't avoid helping you solve because it'll be fun for both of us. You'll get something you need out of it. I'll get something I need out of it. And this really goes back to like the, the whole thing of just like getting to spend that time together going through these things. This is where that affinity will come from. This is why we'll start to like you. And this is what will allow us to explore the possibility of that longer term relationship. Right. So seek out advice. And then at the end of that trail, see if you have any advisors left. Yeah. Getting advice is this is the seeds to growing advisors, right? This is where it comes from. Absolutely. Now, a lot of people, the reason they want to bring on advisors is because they want to be validated. The thinking goes, if this person is willing to join my advisory board, then they must think this is a good idea, which I can then use that value, that social proof to go raise money with that, to go convince people. And by the way, there's some truth to that. Yeah. Imagine what Air Jordans would have been if they were just called Airs. (laughs) (laughs) They would have sold some shoes because it was Nike. It still would have worked a little bit, but it wouldn't have become the thing it became, right? Those type of endorsements are powerful. They are. They are. But they are an after effect to what we're trying to do. We want to endorse them for people that are actually helpful. Getting a bunch of people that are attached to this thing through some bizarre manner that don't actually do anything is a huge waste of time. I'm guilty of that too sometimes. Sometimes in the past when I've got involved in things, I made a commitment you know, as an advisor or whatever, I just got distracted with other stuff. So I didn't fulfill my end of the commitment. Happens all the time. We were talking uh, before the show about you know some of the advisors that we have for startups.com. I haven't spoken to our advisors like in five years they're all phenomenal, right? But I just haven't had anything to ask them about. We got our five questions. Yeah, pretty much, right? And that was 12 years ago. (laughs) So anyway, for a lot of these folks, the ask is just a conversation, right? We date them and we eventually ask. So inevitably, when when people say, well, I'm going to ask this person, what do I offer them? Everybody wants to know what's the comp structure. It's a fair question. Uh, You don't want to get it wrong. At a high level, at a high level, the comm structure for an advisor, someone that's just giving you advice or helping you with some key milestones in the business, could be introductions for funding, could be some early customers, things like that, is usually between 0.1%, so 10% of a, a single point, or 1% of the company, to 1%. Now, you'll hear people that, that got 2%. You'll hear people that got 10%. You'll hear yes. people that got 20%. I'm, I'm crying a little on the inside. And yes, it, it, it means something went wrong. Here's why. There isn't like 
a minimum wage pay scale for advisors at startup companies that everybody knows, right? It's not common knowledge. So if left to your own devices, where you just talk to somebody who seems really influential, here's how the conversation will typically go. Hey, that sounds cool. I'd love to be your advisor. I'm thinking like five to 10%. Not because they're jerks. Because if you had any other, why wouldn't you just say five to 10%? Wait, 1% sounds like nothing, right? Like, why would I propose, like if I was this rockstar advisor, 0.1%. Now, 0.1% any company that's ever made it is worth a fortune, but 0.1% on its face sounds terrible. Yeah, well, at the moment in time, when a company's worth $0, kind of doesn't matter what the percentage is at that point. When it's worth very few dollars, that percentage is minuscule, right? And it sounds like that, but that's not what we're buying into. So generally speaking, if you're giving away advisory shares for a single advisor, you're typically talking about 0.1 on the absolute lowest end and about a point sort of on the upper end. Again, your mileage may vary. You may have situations that changes. I just want to give you some sort of baseline to work with so you don't go out there giving everybody 10% to be an advisor. Great news. We got 12 advisors. Bad news. We gave each of them 10%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nailed it. We own negative company at this point. I don't know how. Correct. I also think the moment you're about to pay someone, there needs to be a give and get. Just saying I'm going to be an advisor isn't enough to get paid to be an advisor. There have to be expectations. Now, a lot of people will think about the expectations being a function of time. I need one hour a quarter of you, you know, to attend our board of advisors meeting or something like that. And you couldn't do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Ideally, if you're going into this, your asks should be more transactional. And, and what I mean by that is you should be asking for something that can be measured and can grow the business, like investor introductions, like customer introductions, like something that they could produce, like if they write code, something like that, that they could produce that would help the business along. It's really tough to quantify, just answer the phone when I call you. Yeah. I had this discussion with a founder a few weeks ago where we talked about developing OKRs for advisors. They were going through this list of people that they were considering for advisors. I said, okay, what's the objective with this one? What's the objective with that one? What's the objective with this one? And once we got through that, we narrowed down the list significantly to the ones that would actually matter to drive the business outcomes that were most important in the short and midterms. And I said, okay, now that we've decided that these are the most important objectives, what are the key results that will actually help you to get to those objectives? It's not enough to just set that goal. Because there's nothing that says we'll get to that goal. Now, what are the steps? You know, okay, that's what you want to happen in this year. And we talk about this all the time with our staff. We talk about, we've talked this in the podcast. What's going to happen this week, right? Or what's going to happen in the next interaction with that advisor? What's the first thing they have to do so that that, that objective starts to become a little more true, right? Because at this point, it's speculation. So I think it's really, really important to truly consider, not just because I think if we just pick on the, you know, if we go back to the, we're, we're using Rockstar here, we just go back to the Rockstar, like, okay, you said, you know, the Red Hot Company, this is the CEO. Cool. What is it we actually want them to help us do beyond just be them and their company? Because that ain't going to happen, right? We're not going to just duplicate ourselves. So what is it we're actually trying to achieve? And I think that makes this decision a lot easier also helps you think about the compensation a lot more clearly because now you have some understanding of what is this actually worth to me, right? I don't just need somebody to validate my feelings about my company. I need somebody to help me achieve some particular objective, or at least that's what you should be doing. In 2007, I had, I was on a bunch of boards, right? And I, I don't know, back then I, I had never really been on boards before, like actual, like real boards. And I didn't really understand what it involved. What it meant. Yeah. Get asked, say yes. Yeah. 
pretty much. That was pretty much what it was. And, and so there were two that I was on at the same time. One was a, a publicly traded bank, First Merchants Bank, right? Well, we got bought by First Merchants. So I guess it's now First Merchants. And that had very specific things that I need to sign off on or whatever, you know, to join the board of the bank, mostly because of you know, disclosures and, and, and stuff. But they never really told me what I was supposed to do there. No one was ever very clear, right? Will, show us your finger tenting. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I would learn later that like I was supposed to basically bring the, the bank business. I mean, ultimately that's, you know, as being like a, a startup guy, I was supposed to bring them startup clients, which they didn't understand startups very well. <laughs> you don't use banks, yeah. but whatever. First you need money, then you get bank. Yeah, 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 yeah. At the same time, I was recruited, this is strangest series of events to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame up in Cleveland, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> They had the most amazing recruiting process of all time for their board members. A friend of mine represented the guy who got brought on as president. Uh, he, my friend of mine was an agent and he represented him in LA. He moved, uh, this guy moved to uh, Cleveland to, to become the CEO of the Rock Hall. And he's like, oh, my, my buddy Will is in, is in Ohio. You should meet them. He can help you out with internet stuff. And that's kind of how this whole thing got started. Internet stuff. I love when, I love when that was all the explanation it took because people were on the other side of internet stuff. They're like, they know internet stuff? Bring yeah. them in. Internet, go, go. We need internet. <laughs> So anyway, their process for kind of recruiting or wooing board members was to give you private tickets to the inductions at the Rock Hall. Yeah, that'll work. I'd say there's yes. two inductions. Yeah. That, there's like one induction where it's like public can buy concert tickets uh -huh. to it and it's huge. And there's another one where it's private and there's like 200 people there and you're just there with the, like the people and their families. And I guess like Run DMC and Metallica and all these amazing inductions. Anyway, the reason I'm bringing that up is because at the end of it, they were highly specific as to uh -huh. what the requirements were to be on the board, right? They were like, it's a million dollars a year minimum, give or get. And give or get means you either give it yourself or you get it from your friends. And I was like, like Jay-Z was on the board, right? I was like, for Jay-Z, Jay-Z could literally do anything and raise a million dollars from his friends. I'm like 34 years old at the time. My friends are broke. Like my friends can't even give me gas. <laughs> no way. I was like, that's not going to work out so well for me. But what I remember about that story the most, other than the cool concert tickets, was they were so good at being specific about what it takes to be here. Yes. Yeah. The highly specific ass, that way they get what they need, not something else, right? They were very specific about what they wanted and what needed to happen to make that happen. Yeah. And, and as much as I like concert tickets, I was going to pay a million or more. <laughs> for you can, I but, think you can still get Taylor Swift tickets for slightly less than that. Yeah, slightly less. Right. So I, I guess my point is what I loved about that process was they said, here's all this big opportunity. And if you want to be part of it, right, you got to show up, you got to deliver. Right. I respected that. Right. I respected that. And, and I actually believe that when we go to these advisors, right. And we say, here's what our expectations are. Here's what we'd like. And that being said, you help us shape what you can contribute, but make it clear. If you want investor introductions, say, I, we're going to need investor introductions. If you want them to speak on your behalf and, and, and back you up for things, say it. My personal belief, again, having done the different board work is I prefer a board that tells me why I'm there. I get really anxious about a board where I'm like, why am I here exactly? Because I don't know how to contribute. And that makes me anxious. I had this happen a few few months ago where I was invited to speak at a conference 
And then I asked, sure, what would you like me to speak about? And they're like, what would you like to speak about? I'm like, okay, bye. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> like, didn't you have something in mind when you asked me? Like, wasn't there a thought in your head about here's what Ryan knows? Here's what our audience wants. Let's marry those two things up and put some thought into this. Didn't happen. Everyone's like, hey, can I pick your brain? I don't want my brain picked. That sounds disgusting, right? <laughs> like, just tell me what you want. Let's get it done. Because I do want to help that, you know, th that is consistent. All of that said, I think what's preventing most founders from making the ask is realizing that you even can. The second part I think that that's holding them back is they don't know how to ask. Again, they think the idea is I'm going to run around to everybody and, and, and make a marriage proposal from the jump. All you're doing is asking people that you think are absolute rock stars a question. That's it. That's it. We're just starting with a question. And that's where these relationships start. That's how like any relationship for that matter, but definitely these. Those that give you a good answer and continue to give you good answers, you build good rapport, they're worth investing in. When the time comes to make that investment, we have to be super clear what the expectations are, kind of what the ROI is on both sides. And in every case, we have to keep investing in kind of delivering that same relationship. It's really no different than if we're hiring somebody right? We have certain expectations. We have a certain ROI that we want. And if we're willing to go after the best person possible, we definitely want to make sure we do everything that we possibly can to make it work. So in addition to all the stuff related to founder groups, you've also got full access to everything on startups.com. That includes all of our education tracks, which will be funding, customer acquisition, even how to manage your monthly financers. There's so much stuff in there. All of our software, including BizPlan for putting together detailed business plans and financials, LaunchRock for attracting early customers, and of course, Fundable for attracting investment capital. When you log into the startups.com site, you'll find all of these resources available.